Plastics is an SPE sponsored podcast. Good morning. How's it going? I know this is maybe our first weekday daytime. This is our earliest recording. I feel very refreshed. Um, There's even still coffee here. It might be cold, but you know, still here. It exists. I haven't even made it to mine. I'm sure it's cold. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) These things happen. (laughs) So um, I am Mercedes Landazzari. And I am Lindsay Nebel. And with our powers combined, we are plastics. The voices of resin. That's us. So much (laughs) resin in our voice. Um, (laughs) And so what we are doing today is we have a lovely new guest that Mercedes will introduce in a moment. Um, You can listen to our podcast uh, anywhere that you can find podcasts. You can listen to us on Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts. Uh, we have the video version. Is video an old, outdated word now? Vid? Probably. Video. I don't know. You can go <laughs> on YouTube and check us out. Um, the new episodes release the first Friday of every month. Today, we'd like to uh, introduce Elisabeth Hulund, um, brand owner management for Nesta Renewable Polymers and Chemicals. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> I already had afternoon coffee. So oh, <laughs> so you're a step ahead of us already. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and where you, I mean, we can see anybody who's watching the video. You have a very, very lovely skylight there. Uh, where in the world are you joining us from? I'm joining from Düsseldorf. Düsseldorf. Yes, that is where we have the hub office for uh, renewable polymers and chemicals with Neste. And I relocated here last fall, a bit delayed. There was some pandemic coming in between me and Düsseldorf. <laughs> and uh, I was just moving back from Asia and uh, and um, had some time in Malmö. Uh, I'm originally from Sweden. So. Uh-huh. But now Düsseldorf. Yeah, I've, I saw on your LinkedIn, you've, uh, and for anybody who wants to look you up, it's, even though it's pronounced something like Kölund, um, it's spelled with an S-K-O-L-U-N-D. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, um, so uh, I saw that you lived in, yeah, you lived in, in China for a while. You speak some Mandarin? You've lived uh, all I can speak a little bit Chinese, mainly food words, uh, <laughs> not so much chemical and petrochemical words, even though that was kind of my focus uh, beyond food when I was in China. <laughs> I, I know yeah. Pong Yo, that's all I got. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, ju- just getting right uh, off of our agenda right from the start, but uh, speaking of petrochemicals, you know, also, you know, looking at your LinkedIn, you actually studied undergraduate, you studied um culture and communications and art history. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. Interested in arts, always liked uh, writing, drawing, sketching, painting, photography. Um, so it was more like, why not? This is something I like to do and, and explore. And um, I think I had an idea of becoming a culture a journalist or opening my own gallery um, at some point. Maybe I will do that at some point. But I, I also came to a point where I I realized maybe this is more of a hobby. I want to explore something else. Uh, coming back to some science basic studies, uh, adding on some maths and finding chemistry just lovely. 
I, I got in love with uh, with chemistry and um, applied for chemical engineering master of science in one of the of the technical universities of Sweden and um, there we are yeah that's <laughs> and for me it's yeah learnings and um, I would say it's not that big difference using your curiosity and there is there is chemistry I have wow. to say I totally relate to that. I, <laughs> I uh, you know, I did a similar 180. You know, I, I remember saying uh, back even when I was maybe in fifth grade that I would never use like math or science ever in my life or career. <laughs> and here I am, you know, <laughs> working with chemistry and math every day. Um, I know I'm the odd one out with the, the engineering <laughs> right from the get go. <laughs> yeah. You need to add some arts to that. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if that uh, that would work well, out. So well. Well. Be a, yeah, a, a, a musician, actually. But now, but but enough about us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so can, can you can you talk about um, so so back to your your current job, right? Brand owner management for Nesta Renewable Polymers and Chemicals. So can you describe renewable polymers and, and what that means? Renewable polymers with Nesta means polymers uh, produced produced out of raw materials which are not uh, virgin fossil. So using carbons that are from sources which are not uh, super super old unpacked in the earth, because there are so many other options to produce um, materials, plastic materials and chemicals with the same qualities, uh, the same benefits as the ones that are made from uh, fossil ones. So yeah, it's about using other other type of carbons. Uh, I think we have enough of them either already drilled and used or uh, renewables, which means that the, the cycle is faster to, to create them again and or and can be also captured from atmosphere. So there are plenty of options um, out there. And as we see it, we might reduce, we are, we are able to re- reduce the dependency on using these fossil materials uh, that we have already done humanity to a certain extent and where we see some drawbacks. So top level, you know, for those, you know, playing along at home, renewable, biopolymers, biorenewable, mm. are those all the same things? Are there distinct differences? Mm. This is, this is of course, a problem uh, that we might come back to. Uh, there is confusion about wording, and there is also maybe a lack of clear, harmonized wording to this. So when we talk renewables, we talk about uh, using, as I said, carbons that are like biogenic, that are not fossil. Uh, sometimes, um, I mean, bio-based is, is yeah, Based on, based on biogenic materials, but I think it's also when you when we then talk about the plastics or the chemicals made out of them, there are different types of uh, materials which might. So in in the case of Neste, first of all, we are not a plastics producer, and that is something uh, which might be <laughs> worth for me to mention already. I sometimes forget to mention that, <laughs> and when it's not clear where in the supply chain we act. So we are not producing plastics ourselves, but we are we enable the production of of materials, plastics based on on other sources by processing these materials in in our uh, manufacturing sites. Um, we are working with downstream uh, partners in the value chain who converts our hydrocarbons further into uh, monomers and polymers, um, and of course there are 
plastics, which are also called bioplastics and which are novel types uh, with maybe a little bit different chemical structures uh, made from other type of, of molecules, while the ones that our raw material offers mainly are what we call drop-in. So uh, actually having the same uh, technical and chemical properties uh, being and also enabling them to, to kind of directly replace the, the kind of fossil conventional based ones. So yes, um, I might add confusion, <laughs> but and I think the industry we have we have a homework to make when it comes to trying to explain this. Um, I think in general, the understanding of what is really plastics is it is confused. And I don't know if the of if we have deliberately not wanted to kind of show what it really is. Uh, but um, I think we're on a way trying to explain better. But there is still a lot of gaps in terms of communication. Mm. Right. Yeah. I was just thinking of that as you were as you were speaking, um uh explaining, you know, the 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 confusion or or um you know, educating the public about about renewables when, when you know, most people really don't understand what plastic is. Right. Right. Um, yeah, a long, a long way to go. Like, yeah. It's a, right. Because we're at the, at the. I keep saying we're at the dawn of the plastic stage. Right. A lot of lot of development on the forefront. Yeah, I feel like yeah. there's so much you know entry level into like just knowing what plastics is, and then you know you take it that step further, and it's talking about the renewables and the bio. You know feed and the bio-renewables and all that, it all convolutes the actual message of what most people are trying. Like, I feel like end game, we're all kind of looking at the same, you know, goal, but like, there's just so much confusion up front. It just confuses a lot of um, the consumers, the people not involved in it on the day-to-day and some people involved in the (laughs) day-to-day, you know, without... I think sometimes that that sort of that is a problem which causes which might also cause delay in the transformation in, in the sense of if you're a maximizer you want to you want to find the, the best the perfect choice all these different messages and mm-hmm. choices and options make it makes it quite difficult to to kind of know what what is really best for me for us <laughs> right. or can someone just give me one one solution and there we are and I think that's that's also it that there is not one perfect solution and now we we really need to to act anyways but well and that's difficult too right because uh you know I think in, in some of our communication before, prior to this uh you'd mentioned that um, defining, you know, sustainability, how different different organizations define sustainability and, and 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 figuring out how to having that communication from from your customer, from the, the you know, throughout the value chain, defining that before you can really even start the conversation of, you know, which which technologies are going to be the best for you. So what um, what what do you find is the, the most difficult uh, part of presenting this type of information to the customer? Where do you where do you struggle uh, to easily show the, the benefit versus the effort? Um, I think one part that I don't know if it's really I mean difficult, but it's an interesting challenge to understand what the the organization actually what what are what is the perspective they have on sustainability. What is it they want to aim? Because I think everyone there are there need to be some as, as mentioned there are, there are many options out there maybe not one perfect solution it also have, but the question is what is prioritized in each case and nowadays 
in many cases, it's the carbon dioxide emission is like number one, reducing that. In some cases, it is how can we help reducing waste, reducing littering? How can we take care of our own waste? And I think Nesta has parts of solutions or full solutions to, to all of these topics. But the, the, the question is also like coming back to the to the user and see what is it, what can we help you with? What is it really you you want to 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 uh, have help with here. And then, of course, the message. Uh, how do we explain this in a way that it makes sense? Because with all this information overload, all these different solutions, how do we make create trust that this is actually helping? Um, because as it is a drop-in solution, it looks the same, it smells the same, it feels the same. How do I know I'm making any difference? What is it? What is right. it really I get? Right. There? And best case scenario so is... It as you're saying, you know, drop in solution, there is no difference. <laughs> Nobody should be able to know you did anything. Exactly. And that, that's a good part, but that's also the difficult <laughs> right. part. And right. also actually that um, now there, it has been a while when, when um, brand owners, organization working with consumer goods have been looking for more sustainable options. And they have an organization who has done their homework in sustainability, sustainability teams looking for scouting new materials. And sometimes I feel there might be a gap in the kind of, are they set up to, to deal with a drop-in solution? Because normally a new material is handled via a process of, of compliance uh, tests and so on. And it is, in this case, that is not really what is needed. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we, are, we are offering something which would enable a fast a direct substitute substitution, uh, but still we, we might get stuck because the processes of implementing mm -hmm. a new material mm. um, is based on the idea that the material is new in a different way. So that is right. something I think will uh, will um, develop. I can get more synced. But, uh, and so so from from a regulatory and compliance standpoint, with these these drop ins, are, are they are they drop ins from regulatory standpoints as well? They are they are drop ins from regulatory because the, the plastics that are produced that can be pr produced are like our direct customers, the partners of ours who produce the plastics, they can mm -hmm. offer the same grades. That's and true. if though they are like in compliance, then of course, de depending on what they want to do with our molecules, but yeah. So, you know, um, you guys had a deal with McDonald's on the clear cups, kind of going back to that, like, what's the priority? Where where did the priority on putting those clear cups, um, what was that game plan for that? Because that's, I mean, McDonald's is a big deal. McDonald's is, you know, if, if you're going to look at the average, the average Joe's going to say, oh, here's where my littering comes from. It's probably something like fast food drink cups or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, yeah. So McDonald's is one example of a brand owner who is, as you say, they are, they are big and they are, of course, um, like focused on how can how can they work with different sustainability issues and uh, trying out their solution as one example. I think they have launched um, some announcements regarding it. And in this case, um, using renewables of which one uh, of which uh, one source was even um, oil, cooking oil from their own restaurants as, a, as an example, and <laughs> which they are now, as I understand, testing out in selected restaurants in the US. So, yeah, it's, it's one 
one case, which I think is is quite good because it is known brand and and so on. And what? Um, let's talk a little bit about now. You, in part of your role, do you work with chemical recycling as well? Uh, we have a team which works more focused on the chemical recycling, but of course, this is one of the topics we touch upon uh, with the brand owners and uh, kind of future future prospects. Um, how we how to develop that part and close the circle. So um, yeah. Um, so um, going going back to renewables here, what uh, how is how is Nesta prioritizing renewables, and and how has that business that that segment grown for you guys over the years? Because it's been uh, a part of your pro- portfolio for quite a while. Uh, if I'm I yeah, was talking uh, you correctly earlier. <laughs> Ren- yeah, exactly. Renewables has been an important part of Nesta for for quite some time. When I, and when I when it comes to renewable polymers and chemicals and 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 using um, our materials and our processes also for the for the materials and chemicals industries, uh, when I joined Nesta, um, we were still called emerging businesses unit, but 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 quite rapidly then uh, transformed uh, in into renewable polymers and uh, renewable polymers and chemicals as as an business unit of its own and already then being uh, connected to brand owners and value chain partners developing this uh, resulting in the first uh, commercial um, commercial production of polyolefins polyethylene polypropylene with uh, with value chain partners in 2019 uh, and since then speeding up and <laughs> pacing up and and um so on so i think already of course before that there was work done and nesta has worked with renewables um quite a few years before that but uh, so the business unit is in one way relatively new but it still feels like a lot of things has happened since also of course with the industry as a as um, a whole the maturity to make the change and move yeah, I think that shows a lot of the like adaptability because obviously, and you know, it's nice that Nesta has recognized that from an early, an early stage, um, but has also recognized the need not to just be like, "Hey, we're we're recycling. Put your put your polypropylene in this bin and your <laughs> polystyrene over here, and we're good." You know, the fact that they have recognized there there are you know new emerging types of technology, you know, closed loop chemical recycling, um, yeah. you know, moving to the renewable polymers, all that kind of stuff. And then adapting a business unit for that. Um, that's, that's the responsiveness you want to see in a, a corporation. Yeah. And I think it's also in like coming back to Nesta's backbone, which is a lot about using, working with challenging materials uh, and upgrading, upcycling them. Uh, so whether it comes to the renewable side, where we are like focusing on on wastes and residues, and and also in the innovation and R and D, continuously looking at the portfolio of which materials can we both find like accessible, acceptable, sustainability wise, uh, and, and that we can use. And it's a lot of focus on the, these challenging ones. So when it comes to the chemical recycling, it's of course about not. Um, it's it's to, to complement what can be done with mechanical recycling to look at the reject streams um, and see 
how can these rather than go to landfill or, or so how can we use them in our processes and upgrade them to be used and even upcycle to sensitive applications where you could not at all work with these materials before. So it's it's a strong focus on, on kind of um, finding those um, and, and continuously develop those ways to use the challenging materials and, and use our processes to enable the, the better use of resources where we can. Can you are you able to to talk about some of the some of the challenging materials that you work with? I know in our communications, I saw one that's like a real, real kind of trend forecasters talking about algae a lot now. That's one that you can use, right? That is one. Yeah, that is one area uh, which is um, really identified as, as um, an important future platform to to look into. I actually I I wouldn't be the right person to share details on exactly what we are doing there, but same as with lignocellulosic waste, municipal solid waste, uh, and and uh, other of those future materials. But I yeah. Algae is, um, is among those. However, I I would not be the expert to share the details. We we, I, we can't get into details for for for, <laughs> for a lot of things. <laughs> you know, a lot of proprietary information there probably. But what are what are some of the some of the um, new raw materials that are most exciting to you? I actually would say that algae for, for me that is <laughs> interesting, and I also I, I find anything that is um, like. Okay, can we use something that is definitely today not even seen, hardly seen as a waste? And I'm like, like also, but what? Because this is, of course, an up, like a continuous development. What was not waste yesterday, or what was waste yesterday, is then suddenly um, for someone um, a, the core product of something. So how this classification and definitions continue is, is of course important. I do find uh, used cooking oil interesting uh, because it's it's clearly and, and it's also in many cases quite acceptable. Well, well, some things are more racist questions and so on. I think um, some of the materials are easier to kind of grasp. But yes, this is something I can can, can clearly see as as a waste and being able to use it for for better purposes but yeah i find and of course having a background also from uh, from uh, uh, forest industries i i think if if there are ways to cleverly use and and make sure to valorize all the different streams uh, together with uh, with different industries and to break some silos is always good yeah, so you served as the vice chairwoman for the Council for uh, Paper and Related Industries Marketing Association. Um, you know, kind of going back to that, like, how do you think, you know, serving in a non-plastics um, mm. industry kind of influences your decisions or lends itself to being in an mm. industry that's, you know, needs to be more focused on the sustainability aspect of things? Um, yeah, I think... Maybe two, maybe two sides to that. So I started my career very much uh, in, related to forest-based industries and quite soon started to work with fiber-based packaging. And that was also a little bit my role or my entry point to this PRIMA, the association that you mentioned, uh, because the industry when I joined was... The, the forest and fiber-based industry was more or less in a, a sort of a crisis and in need of for transformation as the expected and the anticipated growth of, uh, for example, news reading 
on newsprint magazine. That kind of didn't happen because the digitization made the kind of tablets and mobile phones serve that purpose. So suddenly, what to do with with our fiber-based industries? And this, this kind of urge for a transformation led to the kind of focus for the for the first industry into bioeconomy and how to use how to use the, the fiber-based materials in in other um, applications such as packaging but also for construction and for a lot of things so it gave some sort of um, experience from that being in an industry in need for that transformation but also I think um, the connection and interface I had with brand owners already then in terms of packaging makes me realize that for for a brand owner it's not so much a question of like the, the focus is not so much plastics paper it's like we need materials to carry our brand mm-hmm. um what is the best option we have what is the more sustainable one how can we combine that so it's it's kind of the construction of different silo industries doesn't really work and more and more i feel so now going to conferences and events if i compare it's not so much about killing the other industry's uh, suggestions, but more about, okay, all this, these solutions are needed. And also plastics means much more than only petro mm. these days, because right. plastics can, as we have seen, be made from so many different parts. So it gathers the industry from different perspectives, but it's also like seeing the end user perspective. It's not so much either this material or, or this, but right. combination. So I think, yeah. Do you think there is enough collaboration between industries like that? Or is that more, I mean, obviously that's the ideal scenario, but do you think yeah, people no, are No, we are not there. It? We're not there yet. <laughs> I mean, there is collaboration. I'm very happy to see that the discussion has moved to a much more open to kind of, yeah, let's try, let's do this together and 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 so on. But there is always room for more, more collaboration and, and um trust and, and as said focus on what is actually the need what is the we are citizens we need something and and how will that kind of develop and how can we meet those needs together but i think i, I see a lot of of that happening already but it's of course always room for more <laughs> my, my perception elizabeth correct correct me you know or or give input on this but my perception is that europe is a little bit of, ahead of of the united states and that in that regard that I think in, in the U.S., as, as far as the value chain, there are a lot of barriers put up between each stage, and that creates um, a lot of miscommunication and really understanding, okay, what what does the what does the brand owner actually need with this, right? Or what does the consumer actually want with this? Mm-hmm. Do you feel that? Go ahead. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I have, let's say, I've, I've mainly worked, I think, with um, with Europe, but also what I see is, for example, uh, for example, when we discuss recycling, uh, it is the problem is because now nowadays many brands are truly global, and we work with global brand owners, so we don't really differentiate whether the market would be this and that. We try, and and most of the brand owners also have these kind of the rule that the strictest rule should apply to to all markets. Then what I see, for example, when recycling policies are completely different, not only between countries, which they might mm-hmm. still be in 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 the EU or in Europe, uh, but also between states in the US and so on. That complicates things, of course. And it makes kind of, I think it creates a hesitance to what do we invest in? What, what type of, of polymer resins can we use together? Mm-hmm. How are they classified? Can Is there a, um, and maybe possibly that um, 
that Europe has uh, developed that sort of some sort of those harmonized things further. Uh, but yeah, I see. I see. My, maybe there are some different focus areas as well, and also the way of calling things and what is really important and, and not. But I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. What so what can we do uh, both inside the industry and outside of the industry to um, to make renewables more uh, accessible or more more successful in the market? Um, we fighting for them? Should we be advocating for them? And how do how do we how do we even go about solve it? our renewable polymer problem <laughs> right now? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, of course, communication, creating awareness. I mean, I still feel that uh, because we have we have we have the option now to to drop in, replace um, polyolefins and other like engineered plastics, uh, mm-hmm. and you don't need to change the infrastructure and so on. And I I, I think being able to reach. Um, material uh, product designers product like because i still think it's it's not it's not sufficiently well known <laughs> that it is possible um of course we we need to continuously uh, work on finding the right making sure we we have access to the right uh, ma- raw materials and as you like these future raw materials and secure that they are sustainable and show be able to 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 prove that it's it's possible we can do it today we can show that it it uh does decrease your your climate impact or whatever you want to do but i think we we can we can talk about it and and showcases and recording podcasts and pushing them out to the yes, world you know <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> exactly yeah no i mean that's yeah. that's a good point you make about like reaching out to the designers and stuff like that, because um, I know within my company, there's a, you know, obviously with most companies, there's a big sustainability push and they've specifically targeted the new products as their starting point before they even like go to company-wide culture or, you know, existing products or anything like that. You know, it's started at the design because if you get it in at the design, It makes the rest of the process so much easier. Um, Mm -hmm. And and yeah, I think that is a, I think that's a group of people that somehow do get overlooked in some of these types of um, conversations, you know? I I have the feeling, I have the feeling that, um, and also I know already that like I have friends who are teachers in uh, even like undergraduate in design and they have on the agenda uh, to they they need to somehow teach sustainability yeah. but there is not really a lot of support for them what to put into that what how like how how can how would they know what is available right, what right. is the kind of toolbox um and showing that there are different options i mean it's um yeah. Right. Yeah. No. We we have a homework to do with the communication, <laughs> and it's easy to to kind of get stuck in in our own bubbles and create this uh, language which is not very inclusive. So um, yeah, I think right. we we can work on that again. Yeah. I mean, I you know I'm realizing too, not just the industries or, or companies or parts of the value chain are siloed, but even within companies, mm-hmm. there's silos yeah. within companies, and, and people not really speaking the same. Um, language when they're trying to communicate about 
<laughs> yeah, and then again, um, uh, it is still we are creating a new dance floor, and um, <laughs> love it. So it is, of course, confusing. Like, how who who is kind of who, who is right. running the show? Uh, who put who can who create the name? Can we agree on on <laughs> this is what we we call this and that? So I think it's. Um, and it's moving so rapidly, like, mm -hmm. like you're saying, like, how do you create the toolbox when like new tools are literally still being made and like still being, pro you know, you can see the existing ones, but it's going so quickly. It's hard to, it's hard to account for that when, especially when you're training people in this, you know, development area. Yeah, yeah. But it's a very interesting and important question that are, are the groups that we are overlooking that could enable more like yeah rapid deployment or implementation yeah so i think we're we're uh, we're right about a time but i have one one more question for you elizabeth so you were an analyst in the beginning of your career and then you moved into business development and now brand owner management so what is the what is the constant thread throughout those um and and what what kind of has has guided you in this career path and do you do you recommend it to others <laughs> yeah i do i do recommend explore for, follow your heart and, and explore you know i think i've always been a little bit on a pendulum between mid to long-term strategies or more um commercial interface now i feel more and more that the one shouldn't exclude the other because we need to as you said everything moves so rapidly so developing the market the business for next for times to come requires that we are really with eyes and ears close to the, the end markets, the needs, mm. the, the end users. Uh, I think that was a little bit what, what drew me from being more or less a consultant or that created some sort of vision five to 10 years from now um, and, and being like a PowerPoint engineer <laughs> suggesting future scenarios. I wanted to try them out. I wanted to kind of see, does this, does this really work? I wanted to see reality. And and uh, it was scary when I like when I started to work as a product manager. I had to accept direct feedback from customers and from sales representatives, and I needed to accept that I cannot. My suggestions are are not always working, but it's also quite rewarding to have that feedback and to see what works and to recognize that sometimes it's not at all as you envision that the bottlenecks are completely different. Then I also see increasingly now that when, I mean, we are all. Um, consumers uh so it's not that like it isn't that scary to get out there and try to figure out what it is and also when we close the circle the end user is not only the end user it's also the origin of the material at, at some mm -hmm. point so i yes i recommend uh trying both sides and i recommend combining them one thing doesn't need to totally so if if you are an analyst try to get out and also talk to the to the kind of end users. And for me, um, getting more into, let's say, a commercial and sales role, I, which I felt was, was a bit scary. I'm not a saleswoman. I was like, I had to go there with the with the kind of point and perspective that I'm I'm exploring this. I'm asking questions and trying to understand the needs. Mm -hmm. This is what is driving me, rather than pushing, <laughs> pushing something. Right. And that that is also part of this need to be more resource efficient. We cannot afford pushing resources that are not needed. We need to first understand 
what what gaps do we need to close? What is it we should put out there? How should we use the resources we have? And that is only by uh, by being at the the market interface, or I would say. I love it. I love it. Asking the right questions. Well, um, Elizabeth uh, Hulund, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us today. This was this is delightful. Um, I can I always speak for me and Lindsay. Legally, uh, yep. We both <laughs> full um, authority to speak on each other's behalf. But we're very excited to be dancing on this new dance floor of renewables with yeah, you. Yeah, I love yeah. that. That's my my mission in life: starting dance floors. So uh, <laughs> thanks very much for having you on your dance floor. <laughs> All right. And where where can we find uh, Nesta uh, next? Like at a conference? Any any uh, papers that you guys are presenting soon? Uh, always something coming up. I would actually uh, I would recommend going to our website to check <laughs> out because yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. And that's just uh, nesta.com. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Perfect. Well, thank okay. you so much. All Bye. right. Thank you. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Plastics. New episodes appear on the first Friday of every month. So either follow or subscribe to get those new episodes ASAP. Plastics, the Voices of Resin, is a plastics podcast sponsored by SPE, Inspiring Plastics Professionals. If you want to find out more about SPE, please visit for, like the number, SPE.org. Mm-hmm.